the actors, you know, do they give good performances? Well, you know, they're they're very much in character, but there's not much empathy there. I mean, Marie, you know, I didn't care for any of these people as people. I barely knew them actually as characters, their their screen presences. So honestly, I don't know what the actors could do with this. I mean, it's just simply they are they are sort of trapped in it the same way we are. And there was only sort of a quasi level of interest, even in terms of gee, how they do this or that. Because Cronenberg does have, you know, special effects. He does have computer-generated stuff, but he's more old school. A lot of what he has in his films, you know, he likes to have like like actual, you know, physical presence. And so, yes, there are special effects. There's, you know, digital, uh, you know, Mickey Mousing and, and all that, blah blah blah. But he also does like have a sense of that you're watch what you're watching is there. You know what I mean? Whether it's actually there or not, that sense that it's there. But but here I just felt like, you know, it's it's like a, a catalog of horrors. And whether they're convincing or not, visually on screen, after about, you know, a half hour or so, I realized the rest of the film was just going to be more of the same. Hello, and welcome to At The Movies with Mike and Marie, a show where two film professors talk about movies. I'm Marie Westhaver. And I'm Mike Giuliano. And today we're going to talk about Crimes of the Future and Cha-Cha Real Smooth. We're going to start with the David Cronenberg movie, Crimes of the Future. Mike, so... Reading up about it, I learned about a new term, which is body horror, which are films that uh, focus on kind of grossing the audience out and doing extreme and horrifying things to the human body for effect. So now that I know this, I know that this is not my kind of movie, but I know that you've probably seen way more David Cronenberg movies, so I don't want to dismiss his artistry. So why don't you start us off with what you thought about this movie? Well, this movie is very much a David Cronenberg film. I've seen all of his films, and in terms of body horror, it's not the first time he's gone that route. Just to mention some film titles very quickly that people will recognize. Videodrome, which has actually been mentioned a lot in reference to the film we're talking about. The Brood, Dead Zone, Dead Ringers, History of Violence, Crash. Now, he works a lot in this sort of sci-fi mode, and specifically, in his case, he oftentimes has human bodies that are somehow violated or melded into a machine or blah, blah, blah. I, I mean, but when I say bodily distortions, I mean the ways in which like the laws of physics and of common sense and of good manners, all those things sort of go out the window because people will be violated in a way. His films can be difficult, but you know, as horror films go, they're sort of like a thinking man's or a thinking person's horror film oftentimes. It's, it's not just the standard exploitation stuff. And so he generally has a favorable critical response because people realize he's not just making schlock horror films, there's some intelligence and there, there's a kind of rigor to the way in which he works. And, and so I'm not his biggest fan, I'll admit, but he has a distinctive presence. Let's put it that way. Let's though cut to the chase and talk about this film, Crimes of the Future. It is a very difficult film to watch. Cronenberg is known for making difficult films. And the thing is, you could lose a friendship over recommending some of these films. I got to say very quickly here, that I did not like this film. It was an instance of a difficult film that doesn't really merit watching. It's really excruciating to watch this at times. And, and I found myself asking myself, you know, what's the purpose here? Why should I watch this film? What am I meant to get from it? And just to give a, a sense of the storyline here, here you've got a situation where Viggo Mortensen and Leia Seydoux play two characters who are essentially performance artists. And they do these late night, like nightclub acts, if I can describe it that way. And in this case, what they're doing is they are mounting surgeries 
where, you know, he's being operated on and bizarre new organs are being extracted from him and so on, which is already like really out there, really outre, but there's a paying audience, not just me watching it, but there's a paying audience within the film at these nightclubs who are voyeurs who are watching all this. And the film has a very matter of fact, kind of low key way of presenting all this. So much so that it actually, frankly, is a bit of a snooze to watch it because it's dimly lit and it's horrible actions that you're watching. And there really is, for me, a kind of numbing effect. As I watch the film, it's so episodic and so many of the episodes just simply kind of circle back or, or recycle things, you know, variations on things that we've just seen. So there's not a whole lot of momentum that way. And I really thought it was a chore to watch it. So I remember watching it thinking we might well be talking about it right now, thinking, you know, not only can't I recommend this film, but it's a film that, you know, I would never want to watch again. And I'm not thinking I could recommend anyone to, to watch it at all, except for a David Cronenberg completist. If you've seen his films and you like them, yeah, maybe you'll like it more than, than I did. But of all the films I've seen in recent weeks, it's one that I really found most difficult to watch. Well, I'm with you 100% on this. I did not like this movie, but I said from the very beginning, I am not the audience for this movie. And I knew that going in, but I thought, I mean, I remember, I, you didn't mention The Fly, but that's the David Cronenberg movie that I remember with Jeff Goldblum. There's something clever that he does with something that's kind of grotesque. You know, like if Flannery O'Connor made movies, she'd be David Cronenberg, right? But it seemed to me what it reminded me of was, I don't know, Mike, do you, do you remember the movie Johnny Get Your Gun? Yeah, I do. It's about, it's about a guy who comes back from Vietnam and he's basically a torso and he has no agency of his own. He's just, you know, confined to a hospital bed. And, you know, it's about the horrors of war and, and what can happen and how much of you has to still exist for you to, you know, for you to still be you. Just all these kind of very interesting questions about personhood and bodily integrity. This movie just made me think, oh, yeah, I mean, I know people who like to watch those shows on TV about open heart surgery, and I don't like that stuff. So I want to ask you, Mike, who you think the audience is. I will admit that I've watched most of it through my fingers, you know, like, oh, God, I can't watch it. And I actually went back to watch it again because I was afraid I didn't give it a fair shake. But I didn't like it any better the second time. I still didn't like any of those scenes where they just, they go there. And um, for me, that's not entertainment. You watched the second time. I'm so, I'm Twice. so Twice. So, on I, purpose. You are a braver person than I am. Even in the Nobody line of duty. Nobody made me. No, in the line of duty, I, once was enough here. On a somewhat acerbic note, the fact that, of course, horror films today do go there. I mean, a lot of them are so much more graphic so much more extreme and you know the you know torture porn type things where, where it's just like just horrible you know think of like the saw franchise and things like that and i've seen all that stuff and to put it mildly not my cup of tea but i've seen a lot of those movies and this film has a higher brow patina if you will because of the director's credentials because of the casting and so on the production design dim as it was you know is, is there as well but you know what in terms of how it actually plays on screen it doesn't play much differently for me than those out-and-out exploitation movies will. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, as I said earlier, like, what am I supposed to take away from this? What am I supposed to get from this? Uh, it's just not there. It's so cold and so detached. And Cronenberg tends to be clinical that way. But this is to an extreme. And something like The Fly, and thank you for mentioning that, because that's actually one of his best films, I think. There, you know, the Jeff Goldblum character, there's a character you care about. That makes a difference. 
there's a storyline that is really intriguing. Again, in terms of human bodies and what can be done to them, how they can morph and change and so on. Even though video drones been mentioned most often in connection with this film, The Fly actually is a good example too of you know bodily violation or bodily alteration, however you want to phrase that. And I just think Cronenberg has done it more successfully in other films. I think he's kind of on, I would dare say, automatic pilot here, that he had the idea for this and, and, and certainly executes it quite literally. But I don't think there's a whole lot going on. And that includes, you know, there's a lot physically going on and it's gross. But I mean, intellectually, I don't see what the purpose is here. And there's very little else to hold your attention visually because it's set in this sort of nondescript, unnamed waterfront city. But you don't even have much there by way of production design or what I call even like visual escape. Like there are so many scenes where if you're watching something gross, you know, like some, you know, sometimes you're watching a movie and there's something gross going on in one portion of the frame. And like you find your eye like pulling up elsewhere. Like, well, I'll look up in this corner of the frame while that person's getting a needle in the arm. That kind of, you can't really do that here because it's like really dark and dingy and all this around. There's no, there's no place visually to escape. Let's put it that way. And the actors, you know, do they give good performances? Well, you know, they're they're very much in character, but there's not much empathy there. I mean, Marie, you know, I didn't care for any of these people as people. I barely knew them actually as characters, their their screen presences. So honestly, I don't know what the actors could do with this. I mean, it's just simply they are they are sort of trapped in it the same way we are. And there was only sort of a quasi level of interest, even in terms of gee, how they do this or that. Because Cronenberg does have, you know, special effects. He does have computer-generated stuff, but he's more old school. A lot of what he has in his films, you know, he likes to have like like actual, you know, physical presence. And so, yes, there are special effects. There's, you know, digital, uh, you know, Mickey Mousing and, and all that, blah blah blah. But he also does like have a sense of that you're watch what you're watching is there. You know what I mean? Whether it's actually there or not, that sense that it's there. But but here I just felt like, you know, it's it's like a, a catalog of horrors. And whether they're convincing or not visually on screen, after about, you know, a half hour or so, I realized the rest of the film was just going to be more of the same. And it really is too bad because it has some serious talent in it. Viggo Mortensen, Leia Seydoux, Kristen Stewart. These are all actors I like seeing in movies. But I'm with you, Mike. I didn't get it. David Cronenberg, what were you thinking? So let's switch over to a movie I really did like, which is Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which was the audience choice of word for Sundance. And it is written and directed and starring a guy named Cooper Rafe, who's a 25-year-old. And one thing I just want to start off with is how sophisticated this is for something produced in all those directions by someone so young. What was your initial take on the movie? Well, Maria, I've got to say right up front, I don't share your enthusiasm for it. I guess we're, we're uh, you know, a little bit at odds here. This is a Sundance film in, in the sort of feel-good division of Sundance. What I think is already a warning sign is, you know, sometimes when you have a young talent like this, where he's, you know, writing and directing and starring, there's not always the ability to pull back and see that character more objectively or see the film itself there. And I think this is a very self-indulgent film in the sense that our central character, Andrew, is 22, close to the age of the guy who created the film and who plays Andrew. He's a college graduate. He's living with his mother, his brother, his stepfather in a New Jersey suburb. He's working a fast food job, not really heading anywhere in his life, particularly. 
he's an agreeable enough, you know, you'd say a nice guy kind of thing, agreeable enough. But I think the film is self-indulgent already in the sense that so many other characters in the film, you know, either really like him or fall for him or think he has talent or this or that. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not speaking against him, but, but I, I think that he's kind of glorifying himself as a screen presence there. So that was mildly uh, bothersome for me. Anyway, to sort of kick into what the actual story is here, He's, uh, you know, at a, a bar mitzvah. He, go, he goes to a lot of bar and, and bat mitzvahs, and he ends up meeting people. And as he meets them, they, they like him. Again, this is where they respond to his, his charm, his energy, this and that. And I'm watching thinking, no, you could do worse, but, you know, but I think the film is really selling him on all those points. So where does it lead story-wise? Well, he becomes what is described as a bar mitzvah motivational dancer. He actually, by way of paid employment, uh, and this is more fun than working the fast food job, you know, at, at these events, he can get the people up on the floor dancing. He's he's sort of the slick master of ceremonies, the microphone. And he's pretty good at that. It's kind of enjoyable there. But uh, as he's doing that, he meets a woman, you know, played by Dakota Johnson, and she's the mother of an autistic a teenager, and he develops a very close friendship with them. Now, that's meant to be endearing and heartwarming, and it often is, but for me, it oftentimes just felt kind of forced. I didn't feel oftentimes like the relationship was quite what I call natural or a given. It just seemed like the story was dictating or, or pushing it that way. And so already the film's disappointing me on, on a few levels there, that the filmmaker is enamored of himself as a screen presence, that character, the relationship he has with this uh, you know, somewhat older woman and, and, and her daughter and so on. Yeah, it's convincing enough, but it just seemed like it was you know pushing that. And again, where the audience is meant to really fall for them too. And I'm just thinking like, this is a film that for me at least becomes a little too forced, a little too cute not quite as convincing as I would want it. And I enjoyed watching it well enough, but really, honestly, was not that crazy about it. Well, you know, having seen it at Sundance, my first take on it, because I was just watching so many things, was, it was okay. But it's, it's now available on Apple TV. So anybody who wants to stream it, you know, take a look, because I took another look. And the second time around, I really liked it a whole lot more. And I want to bounce off you the three movies it made me think of that also try to give you this young man and this older woman and the interplay between them and how believable it is and how much you, you know, want them to succeed. However, one is licorice pizza. The second is almost famous. And the third is of course, you know, the Mrs. Robinson thing. Well, you know what? I like all those other films a lot more than this one. So it's not as if inherently somehow I don't like that kind of story because essentially it's a young man coming of age. And that's such a, a venerable storytelling device or premise that, you know, it, it does work. Here, to me, it just seems like it's too readily hitting that button because it, it seems to me overly familiar. And I'm feeling a little defensive at the moment just because I, I'm sort of like saying all the reasons why I don't like it. So in order to bolster my argument, in order to push my side, I thought, well, let me go to the New York Times when, when Manola Dargis reviewed it there to show that I'm not the only person who disliked this film. So I'm going to give you an exact quote from her review there, just so I feel better about myself. I'm not, I'm not alone here. Here's what she says, quote, I did not believe a single second in Cha-Cha Real Smooth, but the movie is not trying to convince you of anything. It just wants you to like it. It wants you to smile, nod in recognition, shed a tear or two, and feel good about yourself for liking it. It is an exemplar of American indie entertainment at its most canned and solipsistic, close quote. 
talk about wham, you know, <laughs> really knocking it. But this is actually like, you know, joking aside on this, this is a, a point that I oftentimes make that a lot of great movies have come through Sundance. And initially, and to this day, thinking of Sundance as an alternative to the Hollywood machine, that Sundance would be more independent-minded, tougher, more realistic, more honest, more et cetera. And that's been so often the case. But oftentimes, you'll end up at Sundance getting movies that really are just sort of like the indie version of what a mainstream Hollywood movie would be. And that's her point in, in the New York Times review. And uh, at the risk of riding somebody else's coattails, that's essentially the line of argument I would make here, namely that it's not doing anything particularly interesting or unique or different. It's a very familiar kind of coming of age story, and it works you know, relatively well on, on that level, but I just wouldn't make much more of it than that, that it, it is enjoyable to watch it. And that sort of bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah atmosphere does have some funny scenes in it. You know, you get all those characters together and all the squabbling and, and all the specificity of, you know, that particular culture or subculture. That, that actually is, is quite engaging at times. And so I'm not like totally dissing it. I think the film is worth seeing. I guess what I'm doing is, as Marie and I kind of go back and forth on this, is just that, you know, she, I know you really love this film and my own feelings were just, you know, certainly more lukewarm about it. Let me talk a little bit more about what I really did like about it. Like you said, this young man, he's he's 22 years old. Now, right there, this is where I'm thinking, I wonder if our students would like this movie. And one of the things I really liked about it was that they placed him in the space that our students are when they graduate. You're an adult. You're done with college. You're trying to find your way. You're trying to get jobs that will pay enough so you can survive. And he has a job at a place called Meat Sticks, which I thought was hilarious, just the name. It was, I just thought there was a great little detail. And he ends up being what they call a party starter, where he's a guy that you would hire to come to your event, who would make sure that grandma got on the floor, who would make sure that everybody felt like they had a good time, who wouldn't let anybody sit on the sidelines and, you know, not dance. And he is charming enough to actually like doing this. It's not forced. It's not just, you know, for the money. That's who he is. He's that guy. So I liked that. And I liked how that seemed plausible to me because back in the day, you know, we didn't have wedding planners, you know, you planned your own wedding, but now, you know, that's a, a very well-established job. So it really wasn't that much of a leap for me to think there could be somebody you would hire for a party starter. What a great idea. And he gets all the shy people out. I mean, he, he doesn't just zero in on the, you know, the people who are already popular and easy to talk to. He's able to draw people out, including this autistic girl. So I thought a lot of those scenes were, were really wonderful. I thought the title was very clever because if you've ever been to any, you know, major party, big wedding, anything, you know, they eventually get you out there with the electric slide or this song where, you know, it's like right foot, let's stop, left foot, let's stop, cha-cha real smooth. So it's that canned song that you're familiar with. And yet it evokes you know, getting people out on the on the dance floor and, and how you really need like a master of ceremonies and, and how this guy, he's too young for what he wants, but he's also an adult. And so he's not ridiculous. So I just like the way it straddled a lot of things that I felt like our students would really get. And I thought it was very sweet. I also wanted to ask what you think about Dakota Johnson, because I really felt this was like a Charlotte Gainsbourg kind of a, a move for her. You know what, it's an interesting observation that, you know, as, as she gets more mature as, as an actress, 
Marie, I think that's what you're getting at, the kind of role she's playing there, because she really does play like the older woman, quote unquote. And, and so in terms of the casting, I thought that was, you know, a fairly interesting move to make, to have her in that role. Also, the fact that Vanessa Burkhardt, who plays the Domino, is the name of the character played by Dakota Johnson. And Domino has an autistic uh, daughter, and, and she's a single mother with the autistic daughter. And the fact that Vanessa Burkhardt, the actress who plays that teen daughter, Lola, Domino's daughter, Lola, is herself autistic. And it gives a really, a really strong performance, actually. It's, it's quite moving at times. And so I, I did like many of the domestic scenes with that mother and daughter and, you know, the dynamics of that household. Also, within Cooper's household, within uh, Andrew's household, I, I see what I'm doing because Cooper Rafe does everything in the film. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a difference between him and the characters? But anyway, the character is Andrew. Within Andrew's household, the relationship with his mother, his brother, his stepfather, there were some interesting scenes there. And I particularly was actually moved by... So you're going you're to turn me around and have me liking the film all of a sudden. But I, but, but I, I, I did like the scenes between Andrew and, and, and his, bro, his little brother. There was a tenderness there because, you know, here they are living in the same house again. And the little brother really looks up to him. And it was really sweet in places how, how much he looked to his older brother for dating advice. Because the younger brothers at the point like, well, if I'm with a girl, how do I know if she wants to, you know, kiss me or this or that? You know, first date kind of anxieties. And, and there really were some observant scenes there where I thought this really is, is working well. So at the risk of contradicting myself, there were scenes certainly and, and relationships along the way that I thought re worked relatively well with what otherwise for me was a kind of predictable, formulaic, feel-good story. But you know what? Yes, you will feel good with, during a lot of those scenes. I mean, there are some likable scenes in the film. So I'll stop right now or otherwise I'll, I'll totally um, turn myself <laughs> over to your point of view. Yeah, I really think you should watch it again because I thought it was much more charming the second time around because the first time I was really cynical about, oh, really, I mean, I'm really supposed to believe this 22-year-old is this smooth and, you know, this effective at getting people to ingratiating himself. And, you know, the tension between him and Dakota Johnson in the movie, you know, the first time around, I wasn't buying it. But the second time, I kind of got it more and I really sort of enjoyed that the character who's almost ready for what he's trying to do and I and I'm with you I loved the scenes with him and his brother you know the, the way he would advise them on what you need to know and do and say you know when you're just starting out dating and his brother looks up to him and thinks he knows everything and he plays it really well you know he doesn't I don't know. He doesn't try to make himself seem cooler than he is. He actually gives him really good advice. He's a really good person to come to talk to. That came across very effectively, I thought. And the other thing is that, and this might not, you know, don't be surprised, Mike, if this wasn't a scene that you liked, but there's a scene where Dakota Johnson is hiding in the bathroom because she's got blood on her clothes. And he comes in to try to find her. And she says from inside the stall, could you get me a paper towel or 10? And I laughed out loud. And when I told a friend of mine about it, it's also a woman, she laughed too, because that was, you know, script wise, that was a really good beat. It was very authentic, very funny. And I would not have expected a 25 year old guy writing the script, directing the movie and being in it to be able to hit that note. And so I, I just want to make sure, you know, even if you didn't like the movie that much, you got to give it to this guy. That's a way more talent than I would have expected from anybody 25 years old. 
what's interesting is that you and I had essentially the same response the first time we saw the film. And you did make a really valid point there. So often you'll see a film and then if you give it another chance, sometimes, you know, it might not be like a revolutionary about face, but you're absolutely right, Marie. There are times when on the second viewing, uh, depending on, you know, so much does depend on subjectively where we are, the mood we're in as we watch it and so on. I think we're all prone to that, aren't we? And, and watching it a second time, sometimes simply reinforces the, you know, one's first response, but there are other times where you feel like you've somehow come around to it. So I'm not sure I'm willing at this point to, to give it a second shot, but, but in theory, certainly uh, you make a good point about it. Well, you know, comparing it to Licorice Pizza, which came out, you know, we, we've talked about that movie when it came out. I really thought that movie was very disappointing because I wanted more from that movie and I did not believe that the older girl was really interested in the younger character. I found that completely ridiculous. Where here, it just seemed like he was just trying at the wrong time. He was he was just the wrong age. And, and when you're 22, you don't know that. You know, as far as you know, you're a viable adult, right? You, you should be able to do and say and participate. And, you know, you're not less than in any way that you can see. But of course, when you're watching it, you see so much of a chasm between what he thinks is what the world is all about and what the Dakota Johnson character is actually experiencing. And I'm with you that the scenes with the um, the girl playing the autistic daughter of Fabulous, the way the main character ingratiates himself to Dakota Johnson is that he tells her he's going to get her daughter to get out on the dance floor. And she says, yeah, that's never going to happen. You know, it, if you can do that, I'll give you 300 bucks. And so Next thing you know, he's out there on the dance floor. And what you find out later is he, he goes up to her daughter and says, hey, and I can't remember what it was. I'll make it up. It was like a PS4 that she wanted. He said, look, your mom is, is offering me 300 bucks to get you out on this dance floor. I'll give it to you so you can get that PS4. So he understands how to work that system and what would appeal to her, which is brutal honesty. And it works. And I thought that was a really lovely, lovely moment because to that I thought was very believable. You know where I'm still disagreeing a bit is I agree with what you're saying there but this is a film where consistently it will go that route where, where you think well this isn't a relationship that could work but it works mm -hmm. this this that that you know I'm getting at it's just like almost like point by point things are going to line up in a way that's very satisfying for us as an audience and for me it becomes I don't say implausible, but I'll call it borderline implausible sometimes. In other words, like the, the consistently it hits the right notes there. And I wish life were that way, but it seems to me that the film is, is sometimes like so deliberately and maybe even overly sweet that way in terms of how well things would be resolved or worked out. How do you feel about that? Because I don't want to feel like I'm like I'm inherently against feel-good movies, but this one certainly knows how to hit those buttons. Well, I think you hit on it. I mean, I think that the reason that it works is. If you're watching it and you really wish life was like that sometimes, you'll find it very sweet and very watchable. Yeah, good point. Not the best movie you've ever seen by any means. No, it has flaws. But given that it was written, directed, and acted by a 25-year-old, I think it's extraordinary. And well, it's fun to watch. Orson Welles was 25 when he made Citizen Kane. <laughs> so maybe that's the, the right age to be. <laughs> I don't think this is as good as Citizen Kane. Let's also hope that this young man's trajectory uh, career-wise is not the same as what happened to Orson Welles. Let's, let's well, all, all joking aside, I really do look forward to whatever he does next. I'd like to see him make a movie that's outside of his immediate 
life circumstances, you know what I mean? Like, like something totally removed or different. What do you think of that? Because I think he does have a lot of mm-hmm. promise, I think. I'd love to see whatever he does next. I am definitely going to follow his career, but I also would really love to show this movie to our students in the classroom and see what they think, because I think that's the audience. I think this is who it's pitched to. That's a good point. I mean, it, it knows its material. It knows its audience that way. And so, yeah, if, if you do that, please, we'll do a show just on the audience response to it, how HCC <laughs> students responded to it. But no, again, joking aside, it, it really demographically knows what it's working with. And so you make a good point. How about the main character is 22 years old? How about audience members who are in that same age range and in some cases, life circumstances in terms of college and employment and so on? Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Don't forget to check out our other episodes on dragondigitalradio.podbean.com and also under Dragon Digital Radio on Podbean and Spotify. And we'll see you next time at the movies. See you then. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.